You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show. You might recall that she's a yoga teacher, and I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous, data-oriented approach here on Dunked On, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike apparently a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10-minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes, and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlyn.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description. All right, welcome on to... A Sunday weekend playoff wrap-up edition of Dunkton. We are going to talk about all six games that happened this weekend. We'll talk it, the, on, on this blowout spectacular edition of Dunkton. <laughs> I mean, these blowouts have been a lot, though. Let's, let's talk about the game that actually just concluded here, because obviously when we last left you, the Clippers were still perceived to be in trouble. I thought I saw which way the wind was blowing in this series a little bit. I thought I'd give the Clippers a slightly better than 50% chance of winning this series. As we record now, the Clippers lead it by 24 with seven minutes left in the fourth. So they're going to win this one for sure. We just did this one for the NBA cast. And at least for me, Danny, I I would say, obviously, I mean, it's 2-2. Clippers are going home, but the Clippers pretty much appear to have figured the Mavs out. The Mavs aren't going to shoot 426 on threes every game, just like they weren't going to shoot 50% on threes every game. Uh, That regression has come quickly. But do you agree with me that it's really hard to see the Clippers losing in the series at this point, the way it's gone the last two games? I would definitely say that they're clear favorites. I, I, I think that the the challenge for Dallas moving forward, and this was something you saw before I did, I, I will fully admit I, after how well the Mavericks played offensively in games one and two, I wondered how the Clippers were going to handle that. But for me, the bigger challenge has actually been the Clippers on offense. And Oh yeah. They don't, Dallas doesn't have the personnel. They don't have too many guys that they can throw at either Kawhi or Paul George, both of whom were really good. Kawhi was unbelievable in this game and Paul George was very good. He was, he had some really nice run in the first half. And so you think about, okay, how game this out? How can it work? So the basics you start with, can you defend these guys one-on-one? And for Kawhi Leonard, the answer is pretty clearly no. Maxie Kleba is their best bet. He hasn't done a great job. Kawhi has been, has been awesome. Then the other way you can do that is to send extra personnel and And with both Leonard and George, but especially with Kawhi, when they've sent extra personnel, generally that has led to very good looks for the remainder of the Clippers. And that's a part of why, you know, when during the competitive portion of these games, their offensive rating has been very high. Like it was over, I think it was around a 125, 130 during the competitive portion of this game. And it was largely the same story in game three. And 
remember they had that lull at the beginning of game three. So you're so the question is basically how can that change? And my answer is that it can't. Now you can have the variance of a poor shooting night, or maybe you don't get to the line as much, or something else like that. But the broader dynamics of the Clippers being able to score reliably and relentlessly on the Dallas Mavericks, I don't see that changing. Yeah, and they're getting to the rim a ton. They got uh, 8 of 11 at the rim just in the first quarter in this game, and the Mavs are not getting to the rim. I mean, they've got 66 points so far in this game, and obviously, again, the three-point shooting will be better, and if they hit some threes, that might open things up, but really, the amazing three-point shooting last game, uh, it papered over the fact that the Clips were at least starting to find a way defensively and their defense has been really really good tonight and Nick Batum has was unbelievable he's 33 minutes four steals two blocks he's like coming over playing individual defense on Luca, like forcing misses on, on guys trying to drive on him at the rim I mean I don't know where the hell this guy came from he's like coming over and blocking shots on the weak side Kawhi had two steals and two blocks as well he, he had a, a couple of monster blocks coming over and helped defense and Ty Lue went took Zubats out of the starting lineup went with the unit that started the third quarter in game three with the Reggie Jackson who I thought even Reggie Jackson had some defensive moments in this game as well so this was like the Clippers defense that we expected to see like they haven't had the game plan mistakes that cut Ty Lue was upset about in games one and two and that we were upset about as well they've managed to kind of tighten up they're forcing the Mavs to beat them one-on-one now and Luca you know is looking a little compromised with this uh cervical strain not sure how how much that's necessarily affecting him uh but you know he hasn't been totally cooking the Clippers the way he had been obviously not hitting threes uh, has hurt as well so they've done enough to slow down the Mavs and I mean I think the Mavs can definitely still win a game in this series by getting super hot and I'm not going to totally write them off in the series because they have shown the ability to really score incredibly well against LA but it does seem like the Clippers have really tightened their shit up and they've had just a few more answers to the Mavs, whereas the Mavs have shown zero ability to deal with Leonard or George, as you mentioned at the outset. Yeah, and so it, it is going to be challenging now. It now functionally is a three-game series, just like all four Western Conference series are now. And the Clippers have- Well, we still, we still got uh, Dallas and Memphis is, is uh, 2-1 right now. Oh, but. that's right. That's right. So yeah. that would be- so, Or sorry, Utah, uh, Utah, and, Utah and Memphis, I, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, we had a questioner on hot mic that got my brain going. I forgot that that was premature. Um, so, but I, I think that the Clippers have a material advantage. Not only, I mean, having home court advantage, considering the home team has lost all four games in the series, but they I, they've been the better team for the last two games. And Luca being limited doesn't help. Luca not being able to hit free throws doesn't help. Um, that is yeah. a, a oh for five. That is a material concern. Luca one for seven on threes, also a concern. Um, but all, you brought up the the protection around the rim, and I think that this is another telling stat. As we record this, the Mavericks have taken 13 shots in the restricted area. They've taken 28 floaters, and they've gotten to the line less than the Clippers have. So it's not like you're replacing those paint possessions with free throws. I mean, they've, they've gotten there a decent amount, but not like a crazy amount. And some of that was, you know, fouling jump shooters and everything else like it often is. And yes, Dallas is getting some offensive rebounds, but that's producing some different stuff. Like I thought Porzingis was more aggressive in this game. I thought that that was a, overall a positive, but it's more kind of like opportunistic stuff rather than something, you know, design, designing and getting a flaw. So 
Dallas, their nights that they're shooting is going to be better than this. It has been for three of the four. But the the system buckets, the easy stuff wasn't there as much. Um, we, we can transition to some of the interesting decisions. I think interesting is the right way to put it. Um, rotationally that happened in this game. Yeah, they brought Boban in as the first big man sub. Then they went with Willie Cauley-Stein a little bit later in the first half. He wasn't much good. And Boban, he, as always, you know, he kind of juices the offense for both teams. I think there was a thought they really wanted him in there when Zubats wasn't in there to go against the small lineup. They kind of tried to play a little bit of zone that didn't really work. I mean, the problem is that Boban, like even if he's standing near the basket with the defense of three seconds, he just can't get over there and he doesn't really have the defensive instincts either. So like he actually doesn't protect the rim very well despite being 7-3. And so it's very easy for the Clippers to get right to the basket as well against him. And Cauley Stein really struggled in his time now they've gone to Trey Burke just to try to juice the offense a, a little bit Josh Richardson uh, has really struggled uh, as well you know they tried to get Porzingis going with some post-ups early and but Porzingis you know I mean the big thing that he does is space the floor he's only taken two threes he's missed both of them he's and Porzingis all right he's got 18 points you know he's hitting some turnaround jumpers whatever I mean that's 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 not good enough offense to beat this Clippers team the, the way that they're humming right now and Kleba, this Achilles soreness, you know, it seems like he and Luca are both kind of starting to deteriorate physically a little bit. Uh, and, you know, he, he hasn't really been able to get open for three pointers either. Uh, and his, I think his individual defense on Kawhi has gotten worse throughout the series, although Kawhi has just been again unbelievable once more so dallas is going to shoot better hardway jr you would think he's gonna be better though he's he's really struggled the last couple of games and he got in foul trouble in this one so that they definitely are searching for answers and the one answer that i can think of that they haven't tried yet would be going with kleba at center but that's a little bit difficult too because then you have to kind of stagger him and porzingis and they want to have Kleba out there guarding Leonard most of the time. And so then you have to kind of have Porzingis's minutes matching up with not Leonard. And that could be a little bit difficult as well. So, you know, I'm not sure how much of that lineup they can get to. They definitely need to try it, though, because Dallas, just with these centers, like they're just not getting over there to make enough plays. Like Porzingis is just too slow. He's not intense enough. He's not protecting the rim and making them kick out. Uh, when he does, they actually have scrambled out of it a couple of times reasonably well. But I mean, they're not even going with like pick and roll. They're just Porzingis is kind of like glued to some three point shooter on, on the perimeter. He made a couple of plays, but that's it. Uh, so do you go with a group that can really just switch everything uh, and try to just slow down Leonard and George just a little bit? But I mean, their, their individual defense is nowhere close to good now. Like, if you want to, this is a huge stat here Clippers only have 14 assists on 33 field goals. Yeah. So, like, they're just kicking the Mavs' ass in isolation every time, and the Mavs just aren't getting adequate help uh, and not flying around enough, and this is not a great defensive team. And usually you talk about that, you know, the the low assist-to-made field goal ratio as being indicative of an unhealthy offense, but if you can get quality looks, and the Clippers are getting quality looks, then it's healthy enough. And also a concern for, for Dallas that they, they just don't generate that many turnovers. They, ended, they have 11 as we're recording this, but I think a lot of those were in the less competitive portion, and almost all of those were dead ball. They only had three steals in this game. Mavericks only credited with four fast break points, whereas the Clippers did a better job running. I thought that the Clippers' transition defense, when they actually had to play it, was pretty bad, but they were able to get get some opportunities. Kawhi did have the, did draw that 
offense or did commit that offensive foul on Tim Hardaway that got unsuccessfully challenged. Both coaches did bad unsuccessful challenges in this game. Um, but generally speaking, I thought the Clippers executed pretty well in those circumstances and they've been better in half court offense anyway. Yeah, uh, Mavs defense has been a little better statistically in the second half. They uh, unfortunately they also only have 27 points in 20 minutes in the second half as well. That's that's been a problem. Um, the other thing where the Clippers are really causing problems for the Mavs is in transition. The Mavs only had eight turnovers, but seven of those were Clippers steals. They also got some blocks, and the Clippers just run a little bit more when you've got Rondo out there, Terrence Mann in 13 minutes. Uh, Kawhi I thought was pretty good pushing the ball in this game so 17 fast break points for the Clippers and only four of course for the Mavs because they never ever run under any circumstances and Danny we can officially retire this game because uh, one Daniel Latoro has entered the lineup I thought you were gonna say because Luke Kennard is in but yeah (laughs) that that too he's his uh only uh we did see some Trey Burke in competitive minutes of this game yeah yeah I mentioned that I mean that was that was kind of just they're desperately looking for something to juice the offense and he had some moments against this team last year but he hasn't been the same guy that he was in the bubble so I I mean I think that's all I got on this game really I mean there's Luca like if Luca is not the best player on the floor the the Mavs are done right like that's and to me Kawhi Leonard has easily been the best player on the floor the last two games and I don't think like it just needs to be repeated how ridiculous Kawhi Leonard has oh been here let me let me let games. me let me let me go the last three games so game game four the one that was today Kawhi 29 points 11 to 15 from the field so if you want to say 29 points on 18 shooting possessions game three Kawhi Leonard 36 points on 20 shooting possessions game two 41 points on 26 shooting on 26 possessions unbelievable yeah and the plus minus obviously has been fantastic the last couple of games as well and Kawhi in this one you know hasn't been doing it a ton with the three-pointer instead it's been just getting to the basket seven of nine at the rim for Kawhi and I think you know a lot of people were really concerned about the Clippers ability to get to the basket and that they just took a lot of threes and you know it was really all threes they weren't getting to the foul line at all I thought that Kawhi Leonard was going to turn it up getting to the rim and obviously this Mavs team has not had good rim production but also that's because the LA Clippers have a ton of shooting out there basically at all times I've been working with Masterclass now for probably four years, ever since Steph Curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out. And I still find more classes that I'm enjoying. My wife and I have actually been sitting down together and watching Gordon Ramsay's class and learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away. More her than me, if we're being honest, because it is the NBA playoffs after all. I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now. But I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass just even when they're filming him doing the class they've got like four different cameras there they'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl it's really just remarkable and really whatever you're interest is and however deep you want to go into it whether you want to just watch the videos whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as well and you can watch it on ios android we're casting it to our chromecast super easy the way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every masterclass and 15 percent off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com slash capspace easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program that's masterclass.com slash capspace for 15 percent off masterclass don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us 
I've been working with Indochino since way back in 2015. They outfitted my wedding with a tuxedo and sport coats for my groomsmen. I've got a number of suits from them as well. There's nothing like that feeling of knowing that your clothes just fit perfectly and you're not going to get that at some store. You're not going to get that off the rack. Yeah, they say that they can customize it for you, but why should you start with something that's made for someone else and get them to try to make it fit you? Instead, Indochino makes stuff for you that fits perfectly whether it's custom fitted suits shirts casual wear and more it's all at surprisingly affordable prices their suits start at just 399 dollars with all customizations included each piece is made your exact measurements you can customize every detail the fabric the lapel the monogram they've got awesome statement linings as well whether you want to go into one of their many north american showrooms or book a virtual style consultation just go to indochino.com and you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code capspace at checkout easy to remember capspace which I put all the time around the program that's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at indochino i-n-d-o-c-h-i-n-o indochino.com promo code capspace don't forget that capspace code to let them know you came from us Let's get now to Lakers Suns from earlier today. And obviously the health, I mean, that's just been the variable in this series. Chris Paul supposedly had a big conversation with Monty Williams before the game about whether he was going to even be allowed to play by Monty Williams. And he said, hey, trust me. And Chris said to Jay Crowder and Dever Booker, like, if I sucked, please tell me so they can take me out. But Chris, he was even listed as questionable before the game. But it was pretty obvious immediately that he was just much more spry. And while I wouldn't say he was a 100% because his three ball although he at least took a three ball you know he wasn't wasn't aggressive with that but he was kind of bouncing into that elbow jumper again able to set guys up a little bit more he was feeling good enough that he was yelling I'm back to guys on the bench and as Chris Paul's health waxed so waned the health of one Anthony Davis yeah Davis late in the second quarter is trying to drive the paint and goes down with and and it was interesting because I noticed immediately that he grabbed his upper leg not his knee and I was like hmm and just factored away but his left knee is what had been ailing Davis recently though he played through that in game four at the beginning he goes down with what is being described as a groin strain but also Davis's day-to-day he did not play in the second half and injury reporting can be very challenging like our, our analysis of it you know it's very speculative but one of the things that we saw is it will be very hard for these Lakers and and they did have a push in the fourth quarter to be sure it's going to be hard for them to survive the any extended absence for Davis because they just don't have great personnel to replace him no they don't and particularly offensively I I think it's going to be a problem it's it's a little bit more uh, on Davis's health before we kind of get to how they look without him yeah, he did have that knee sprain that had him somewhat questionable before this game. And so I think suffering this issue on that same leg, it was unclear exactly how it happened. Uh, I thought he kind of tweaked it trying to take off coming in from the left baseline for a layup because it looked like he didn't get his usual explosion on that. And he kind of just got disrupted into a miss by Jay Crowder. Uh, Brian Suter, a, a doctor who does a lot of good stuff uh, on YouTube, he thought that Davis hit it because he went down and kind of caught his knee which uh abducted his hip on i think it was the foot of deandre ayton and that that's where he had the groin strain but you know the hope is really you know if this is just a groin strain and that's it like a groin strain that is on its own that is bad enough to make you have to leave a game it's probably going to be a thing where you're going to miss multiple games and 
He has had some groin soreness uh, at times in his career. So I guess kind of the hope is that the medical staff is like, hey, look, you're already questionable with the knee. Now you got this groin issue as well. Like, it's just too much. Let's take you out and, you know, let's see if you can come back in the next game. They only were down four at halftime. Davis played basically the, his normal minutes in the first half. And it just seems like they are really going to struggle to score and also just to find an identity, as you alluded to, without Davis on the floor. And particularly now as Chris Paul is beginning to get back to being himself. Right. And so, I mean, the, the personnel issues, first of all, then you have to play a center, a center, one of their three on the floor. And each of them have had their foibles in this game. We actually did see some Montrez Harrell in the fourth quarter. And yeah, Chris Paul saw Montrez Harrell out there too, as it <laughs> he turned sure out. did. Yeah. And, uh, and although, I mean, they, they weren't like just killing them in those minutes, but it was, yeah, it was, was obvious he was, he was where they were trying to go. Yeah. Right. And so that you have that, but then you also have, okay, then when Davis is, you know, a lot of this series, Drummond played 19 minutes, Gasol played 23, Harrell played five. A lot of these minutes, whether we think it's right or not, he's also, Davis is playing power forward. And the Lakers front court rotation, you know, forward sized guys, it's not that robust a list. I mean, um, Markeith Morris can play more than he already has. Kyle Kuzma, who got the start in lieu of Davis in that second half, can do a little bit more. But Harrell, Drummond, and Gasol are all center only players, in my opinion. I don't think you want to put like Harrell and Gasol together or Harrell and Drummond, God forbid, together for extended minutes. You know, you can play LeBron at the four. Sure. I mean, he's done that at various points, including in his Lakers tenure. But then that runs into the same problem the Lakers have gone into all year, which is that they don't have enough wings to put LeBron at the four. Well, and we haven't even mentioned that Contavious Caldwell-Pope did not play in this game. He True. suffered that uh, thigh contusion and wasn't able to play. So that made that uh, strategy even more difficult. And Wes Matthews got the start. He was two of five. I thought he was fine. Uh, sure. But uh, they, they still could definitely... Uh, KCP is their best shooter who isn't Ben McLemore and Ben McLemore I thought uh, also had a, a walking target on his back you know at one point they tried to kind of go all offense at the start of the fourth with Schroeder, McLemore, LeBron, Kuzma and Harrell and they still really couldn't score that well I mean that's sort of your best attempt at the like LeBron and spacing that's obviously been so awesome offensively before LeBron got to LA but the, the Lakers just don't really have the personnel to put that out there and, you know, I think... I once Davis went out I'm like okay well LeBron he was looking pretty spry in the first like he had like a, a couple of huge dunks he had that the left to right spin move going in transition uh, around Cam Johnson who should probably know that LeBron likes the left to right spin move in transition by this point uh he had that crazy dunk off the backboard from Caruso in the first half like he was looking spry at the end of game three you know talking a bunch of shit and like clowning around and so you're like okay maybe LeBron's feeling good enough now to you know have this virtual virtuoso's performance that's going to push them to a 3-1 lead in this game because that's the only way it was going to happen for them and lebron you know 25 points 10 to 21 it's okay i uh, did get to the rim more in this game just didn't have the jumper working that was most of his missed shots so uh but he also had six turnovers only six assists and he only had one field goal in the third quarter which was really the critical point they only scored 15 points and they were pretty much down and out they were able to like slightly get back into it, but it, what, it never got closer than like six or seven. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't cut it to single digits until the last minute, if memory serves. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't 
I think I think they got it back to eight with like three minutes left. But it oh, wasn't. Oh yeah, they might have gotten it to eight one other time before that. Yeah, right. but it wasn't. It wasn't like okay, they're really in contact uh, at any point. And, and Phoenix was kind of going to the the prevent offense to some degree as well. So I mean, that's if Davis can't play, I mean, it's going like LeBron James. This is the basically the lowest scoring playoff series of his entire career. Maybe I don't remember exactly what he averaged in that Mav series in 2011, but this might be. And I mean the other. And the other weird one that he had was 2010 against the Celtics where he had the elbow issue. So, and it's been a while since we've seen LeBron James score this poorly in a playoff series. Now, their defense has been awesome. And, you know, he was giving them just enough offense. And I thought if AD were there, they could probably still get by and win the series with the LeBron that they've had so far. It's sort of been like gradually improving every game. With no AD, he's got to score 30 points. Like he needs to have those 30 to 35 point, 10 assist type performance because there's no one else to do it. Schroeder was terrible in this game. I mean, he can play better. He has been playing better in the series, but he was 3 of 13 for eight points and uh they also obviously need to find some kind of offense with lebron off the floor now because they would usually stagger him and ad so i mean maybe that's Schroeder and harrell working together but you're always going to have either booker or paul on the floor who can go right back at you and pick and roll with that group but you got to figure out some kind of way to score like the the group at the end of the third had no chance of scoring at all they didn't have Schroeder or lebron out there or harrell it's uh so i mean it's really just a question of kind of whether ad can play and whether it's wise for him to play or whether you just want to sit him out because the groin and the knee those are kind of the things that are going to swell up if you play on him and so do you just sit him out and kind of just try to win game six and seven if you can't win game five you know that's only ad and the medical staff can answer that one but it certainly would have to be a consideration you would think um so and it should also be a consideration here because the lakers sun's game five is on tuesday some of the teams that played on sunday their game is wednesday but instead that one is tuesday in phoenix and i so it's so the series goes tuesday thursday saturday would be game seven so i mean it's we don't have all the information but i mean with davis it seems like being judicious would be a good idea we don't know if no a weakened knee you know the, the, the kevin durant situation of like the links in the chain or anything like that but there's a lot of risk there and if they lose him for an extended period of time, if like, let's say he comes back and heaven forbid he re-injures any part of this chain, then you're sunk. Then you're you're out of this completely. And maybe the calculus changes if you lose game five and then it's like you have to have to win to stay in the series. It was about a year ago now that there was that massive shortage of toilet paper. Remember that? Even still, it, it seems like you can't get as much as you might want to at the store. And that shed some light for me on the idea that toilet paper is not very environmentally friendly either. Over 27,000 trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper. And that's why now I use Real. It's 100% bamboo toilet paper. Bamboo grows faster than trees. It doesn't need to be replanted. And it's just a more sustainable material uh, overall. It's three-ply, making it both soft and strong. Even the tape is plastic-free, as, of course, is the rest of their packaging. And every real purchase helps fund access to clean toilets for the 2.4 billion people who currently have to defecate outside. So it's good for you. It's good for the environment. It gets sent right to your house, which is awesome with free shipping. So you don't have to take up 95% of the room in your shopping cart just with toilet paper. No reason not to give it a try. Listeners of Dunked On get 10% off their first order with the promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember that because we talk about it all the time around the program. Visit realpaper.com, R-E-E-L, realpaper.com, and use that CAPSPACE code to get 10% off. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. 
So it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire. And the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business. That's why Indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier. It's as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you get it faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. You can skip schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard, and you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description. They also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of. On average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%, and according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires, not candidates. Anyone can be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash capspace. That's indeed.com slash capspace. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get that slash capspace URL. Let's let them know that you came from us. But the other thing to me that has to be very concerning to the Lakers is the Suns, you know, we both thought I think they were in pretty firm control of this game at the end of the third quarter. It wasn't like this was an unbelievable, unsustainable offensive performance for Phoenix. Like they were, there were were things that went well for them you know Jay Crowder actually hit a couple of threes after missing after missing seemingly everything in the series before that Chris Paul looked much better than he did before but this was not an unbelievable Booker performance or campaign or no I, I, by the way Caruso was awesome yes on Devin Booker I mean it was just an absolute clinic I thought Caruso, Caruso should have started when KCP was out personally yeah I mean for Caruso just he was getting through every single screen it was remarkable I mean Booker didn't score in the second half until there was like what three minutes left or something and now part of that was CP kind of had it working they were getting out in transition I mean that was a big aspect of this too that the Lakers can clean up was just particularly in the first half they just didn't do a good enough job of getting back. They were just like big men fucking around in the in the yep. in the backcourt. And, and you still know. my heart, Phoenix did a little running off of makes, which is one of my favorite things. Yeah. No, and, and you know, made layups, missed layups in particular. Um, you know, in fact, at halftime, Phoenix had run on thirty-three percent of their possessions overall and fifty-two percent of their misses. So the Lakers really were just not doing a good enough job getting back in the first half. Jay Crowder, welcome to the series offensively, uh, had seventeen points and was three of eight from three, finally hit a couple of shots, which I think was important to at least expand the Lakers defense a little bit but the Lakers defense was still pretty darn good in the second half in the half court uh, I mean they are just a good defensive team even without Davis but Davis to me is the only one who can really slow down that CP pick and roll at the end of games for example uh and you know I think they're they're really they're going to need him to win this series I, I would say I mean if they don't get him back and the Lakers still win the series with decent health from Phoenix you know it's gonna I mean it'll be another one of these just some unbelievable LeBron performances but the Lakers just are not set up for LeBron to dominate that much offensively you know it's kind of kind of more we're gonna play great defense and get out in transition and we'll you know kind of get just enough offense from James and AD but maybe not just like total domination and uh the Lakers did get up 43 point attempts like that was kind of good but they don't have the guys who are gonna push you to making 20 of those 43 point attempts 
necessarily so uh yeah i mean so who would you start in assuming davis can't make it who would you start in, in game five? Oof. uh probably markeith well i would start gasol uh, yes oh, oh yeah oh absolutely who actually was plus one in this in 23 minutes three of five from three i think that's like the closest you can get to kind of the lebron and spacing and and then maybe you would go with kuzma probably as well in the starting lineup yeah, or i i I'd maybe go a little bit bigger there um but yeah either either of those is fine and if and and if kcp's out again i'd start caruso instead of wes i under or, or you could even start both of them and then go lebron at the four yeah i think it, they need caruso to come in and spell Schroeder as the backup point guard i don't know how many minutes caruso can play at his intensity level and he also just the case or uh Wes Matthews is just a much better shooter. So I, I think like I would try to like get LeBron and that spacing group going early and then maybe try to run your second unit around Schroeder and Harrell, which they really have not done a ton of. And we haven't seen a ton of even Schroeder pick and roll in this series. It's been more him kind of attacking from the wings or in transition. Uh, for the Suns, they did try Frank Kaminsky at center again to start the second quarter and immediately got rocked. I still would be going with Dario Sharch there. Yes, I'm aware of the charge has not played incredibly well however he can't be worse than Kaminsky he just can't be now I'm not sure whether it was due to Aiton getting a third foul in the third quarter or whether it was due to Anthony Davis not being out there or you know liking the matchup of Kaminsky better against Gasol than Drummond but they did go with Kaminsky at the end of the third quarter to spell Aiton rather than the end or, or the beginning of the fourth and that seemed to work a little bit better but um yeah i mean the sun's still they're 29 from three like they've got a lot a lot of uh improvement they can make in theory here as well um let me see if i got anything else you got anything else in this one i'll see if i can uh find anything else in the notebook here i'm gonna be interested in how the offensive glass plays out in the rest of this series um the lakers have had their moments there and the suns have too but this was a low offensive rebounding game for both teams so i i want i want to see if either team because remember Aiton had that big game one maybe if davis isn't available that happens again in game five and also um i mean I agree with you that Chris Paul was health, his health was meaningfully improved, but where, where you notice the limitations was the threes that he turned down. Rather, he did he yeah. did take three and he did miss three, but that's, he doesn't seem quite comfortable with that. Hollinger, with his amusement, noted the one where CP turned down the three and then immediately got a two-shot foul and made both free throws. Yeah. Um, that that is that is very much Chris Paul but that will be you know like it's it's a later stage calibrator he looks a lot better I mean that's that's the most important part here but when he starts to be comfortable taking those shots that the Lakers are straight up conceding at times now I'll feel more confident that he's like back back yeah and I think you know a lot of people are saying on Twitter oh they should go under on CP go under on CP no it's not gonna work because you just you have to stay connected to Chris Paul's body because once you've gone under on him and you're not connected to his body anymore he'll just rescreen he'll use it and he's gonna get to his spot uh, at the elbow like you gotta just stay connected with his body he, you cannot you know it's one thing if to go under on a guy who wants to get all the way to the rim and doesn't have a mid-range game but you go under on him and then you're not connected they re he'll go left first when you go under on him you try and meet him on the other side and then they just rescreen and he goes right back to the right elbow and he's wide open so I, I don't that's why I think they're not going under on him I mean you can try to do it selectively but he's just too canny I, I don't think that's going to work uh, on him very well um it was yeah go ahead Oh, just so you have it, um, LeBron. The I looked up that Matt, that 2011 Finals. LeBron averaged 
under 18 points a game in that series, and he is currently sitting at 21.8 in the four games of this one. Yeah, I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to remember a series where he averaged less than 25 in the last, you know, basically since 2011, I I would guess. I I mean, or if he did, it was just because they were blowing him out so badly in the first round that he just didn't have to play or something. Um, I love the Suns going to, like, their orange uniforms. Jovan tweeted this. I was thinking it, too, that it was kind of reminded me of that 2006 series with the Lakers in those Sunday whites. Uh, A key stretch was right after the Kaminsky minutes ended and they brought Aiton back after about a four minute rest in the second Lakers actually went up 11 at that point and what really turned it was a three-point play by Devin Booker that never should have happened where he like felt the contact and threw up a runner and it went in like that should have been an on the floor foul wiped out like he clearly the I think it was Wes Matthews clearly had the forearm on him like well before he decided to shoot and Mark Davis called that a shooting foul I don't know why that's supposed to have been changed years ago and then they got a a cam johnson three right after that and got back within five and right back into contact and and ended up taking a four-point lead at halftime Aiden's game was interesting you know he was getting complained at by his teammates a lot in the first half Booker was like really frustrated with him and he made a couple of dumb plays where guys had a pretty good matchup and then he would just run in and set a screen just to put two on the ball for no reason like Booker is trying to back down shooter from the side he get, uh, gets that matchup in semi-transition Aiden comes over and sets the screen and just you know creates an instant double team um but uh, and like he didn't catch a couple of passes and like yelling at a big man for not catching a pass that's not productive as a big man who has not caught passes sometimes as a gangly youth i can tell you that like there's no trying harder when it comes to passes like it's just going to get in your head even more if your teammates yell at you about that and Aiton though i thought played a better second half he got like one really deep seal on lebron which admittedly lebron wasn't trying on that play but you can take advantage of the fact that lebron doesn't try sometimes Schroeder had a great stretch in the third where he was just pressuring up Chris Paul and basically took them completely out of their offense on one play they never got closer than about like 25 feet from the basket the whole time but then they started setting some screens in the backcourt to kind of alleviate that and I mean the the other thing to remember too this is the first series now in the AD LeBron era that they didn't go up 3-1 they were up 3-1 in every series last year they were never even remotely threatened they won them in five or they got to six after they kind of just uh after they sold out game five in that miami series and should have won it oh we should also mention so remember early in this series we were talking about lebron's lack of athleticism and aggressiveness this one eight of nine in the restricted area one of 12 away from the rim yeah it's uh, his jumper is so weird right like he if if, can he get the rim finishing it's the yin and yang you know like so i mean maybe and, and maybe if he gets the rim fin- this type of rim finishing with the jump shooting he's had at times in this series maybe he does have that that dominant game uh in game five okay where to next mr larue well, let's stay with Sunday and move to the the earliest game on the docket, and that was the Atlanta Hawks dispatching the New York Knickerbockers 113-96. And I would say, broadly speaking, this was in line, you know, some certain nuances that were different, but this was in line with kind of what we saw in Game 3, and it's going to be difficult for the Knicks in this series. I, I certainly think they could win Game 5 with their home crowd at MSG, but the offensive limitations both in terms of personnel and in terms of creativity slash scheme have really come to the forefront. 
Yeah, this is another one of those series that's just starting to feel by game four as though one of the teams is just out of options. And it, the Knicks have tried some stuff. They started off now with Reggie Bullock beginning the game on Trey Young. They've tried some things to get Julius Randle going, who had a, a, another relative stinker, 23 points on 7-19, but he got some of that in garbage time when Tibbs left him out there forever just to see if he could get a, a rhythm. You know, they, they've tried to have him get middle. The Hawks kind of cleaned that up in game three. They, Randall got middle a little bit more, but the Knicks couldn't really hit a, a ton of the threes that he set up at those times. They also tried to have him be the screener in pick and roll, but they weren't really able to get him much of an advantage off those plays. They weren't getting him the ball quickly enough. He wasn't making a very quick, decisive rip through kind of attack. It's just a lot of mid-rangers for Julius Randle. And that's the reality of the Knicks offense is that they're designed to set those plays up. That's what Julius Randle is trying to get to. And Randle was not particularly efficient this year. Part of that is because of the Knicks lack of spacing, which we'll talk more about, but Schumann had this stat. He's second in the league. He took 463 pull-up twos, but he shot only 42% on those shots, which was 30th among 35 players who attempted that many. And so, yeah, that's why the Knicks are, are going to struggle to score in the series. Their main offensive player was not really efficient uh, against the entire league and against regular season defenses. And again, that's within the entire ecosystem of, of what the Knicks are trying to do. It's not all his fault. On another, another team, he probably would be more efficient. So... Like this Hawks offense is too good for that. Uh, they put up a 121 offensive rating in this game. Yeah, and, and another way of putting it, Jared Dubin brought this up, is that there was a moment in the third quarter when both teams were an identical 24 of 56 from the field. But the Hawks were leading by, I think it was 11 at that point, because the Hawks had taken 11 more of their identical number of shots from three, and they'd gotten to the line more. And so just to, unless they're missing a bunch of threes, like the Hawks did in the very beginning of the game, and was looking better for the Knicks, and then all of a sudden their good shooters started hitting these shots and it looked a lot worse yeah it, that was crazy by the way i think the hawks missed every catch and shoot three they took until the very end of the first and then they made four in a row right away and that's that's kind of when they pushed out to their lead a, a little bit nick's kind of got back into it but then got totally blown out in the third quarter obviously yeah and one of the nuances that i think the knicks could try when you know this is to try to slow down the hawks offense they did it a couple times and i absolutely i absolutely loved it which is when when they're when the hawks are using capella as the screener rather than john collins or, or someone else capella is a pretty poor especially in terms of speed decision maker but also like decisions so so when you double tray in those sort circumstances you force him in many circumstances unless they do a short roll or something which they should do in those circumstances you put the ball in capella's hands far enough away from the basket that he can't really do any damage and you're forcing him to make a decision there was one point where you basically looked off deandre hunter to turn the ball over and capella i mean his goal should be when he catches it in those circumstances don't fucking dribble because he's not good at it and so in those circumstances one of the things that i would consider as tibbs is put the power forward whether that's randall or somebody else depending on personnel on capella and then put the center on john collins and the reason why you can do that is if they're going to still use capella as a screener maybe they wouldn't maybe they would switch to john collins in those circumstances which that would actually be bad you don't want to do that but if it's if it's still capella then the benefit that you get is not only do you force you force capella to make the pass but you have a rim protector kind of there instead and so you're kind of getting the best of both worlds unless capella starts making the pass anymore 
Yeah, I think the reason they haven't done that, and keep in mind that Gallo plays the four for them a lot too, is just because that rim protector then has to guard a three-point shooter, and the Knicks' system is just not really set up for them to yeah. do that. Well, that's why, we, we, the, yeah, it's not it's not the way the system is set up. What I'm saying is you're challenging Capella to actually make the pass to the shooter, and I don't think he will. Yeah, I mean, that, that might be right, but you're also, I mean... It, there are plays other than pick and rolls too sure, where sure. you know you want to have a rim protector there so i, I mean I, like i'm not saying that they shouldn't try it i'm just saying that like, this is that's probably there the is downside. they haven't um yeah. oh for sure and again i mean but all, all what of course all that gets back to is that this is just a regular season team we talked about it in the matchups coming in it's played out almost exactly that way at least in this particular series where they just don't have that many options and they've within the capabilities of their system they've tried some stuff right like they they are basically not letting trey young use screens anymore they're basically just like forcing him away from every screen and he's been able to get to the basket and make some plays and he was he was good again in this game with 27 points and uh nine assists uh they kind of made him be a little bit more of a three-point shooter uh, as well but really on both ends they're just a with this personnel and b with this coach and c with this offensive system i guess a product of the coach there are just only so many things you, you can do and they just don't have a big enough range the hawks have a bunch of different t- kinds of players they can do a bunch of different things they have way more talent frankly as well on the offensive end and, and that's why you're seeing the result that you're seeing in this series which was and it was insane i think like 15 of 18 people at espn picked the knicks to win this series which i thought was remarkable um i i want to say the hawks were betting favorites in this series though uh i thought i heard that somewhere which i'm i you and i both picked them so that that seems to be uh what uh the smart money was on at least in this series so i i I mean i don't know i I got a few more notes here the only biggest adjustment i could think of for the knicks would be to go with a smaller group and you know part of that sure because also the other thing that killed them in this game is just that their centers can't do anything offensively and you know taj gibson was three for four noel shock of shocks nerland's noel didn't get to the line 16 times in this game (laughs) i think it was 12 in the last game that had to have that had to have been a career high uh i'm sure and so i think the the and because all that overload coverage that randall is seeing also people are like oh why don't they just attack trey young more and pick and roll like they're not doing a good good enough job they tried to go after and they probably ran like 10 12 screens at at trey young with his man as the screener and okay it was reggie block pick and popping i thought young actually did a pretty decent job of getting back to him he picked up a couple of fouls in those situations but the problem is just that you they don't have the space to take advantage of it right like young is hard hedging but the ball handler can't just like blow by trey young and the guy who who got screened and get in the lane with space and make plays because clint capella is always just standing there and same thing with randall trying to iso like he can't get to the rim because clint capella is always standing there they always got someone coming over in the strong side zone and so yeah okay you can try to get to the free throw line and play make but you're still not getting past the problem that you just have no space on the floor and so i think the only thing to try because they just aren't scoring enough in this series like that's that's the sine qua non they can't get past not scoring and actually win basketball games in the series so 
and I don't think they've shown enough facility this Hawks offense is too good you're not going to hold the Hawks to just like completely hold them down to win three games in this series like you got to score more so Randall at center has been suggested the problem is they don't really have any kind of a, a stretch four to play next to him I think Obi Toppin's been pretty good in this series I would try to break out he and Randall together to some degree I didn't watch the fourth quarter maybe they did that a little bit but I think Toppin you know because Toppin played 19 minutes I assume he played in the fourth and so did Randall but Toppin can space the floor Toppin has actually made some plays as a driver off of closeouts now are you going to stop the Hawks with that group no you're probably not going to but they're not stopping him anyway they had a 120 offensive rating in this game so particularly I would say in particular when Trey Young is off the floor I would try to go to those groups and see if you can juice the offense get Randall going uh and also Capella will be off the floor during some of those moments as well so you can get a Kongu in foul trouble maybe space him out uh force him to go a, a lot smaller or something like that I mean they've the only time they've gone with Randall at center during competitive portion of the game is when the Hawks at the end of I think game two went with Gallo at center and then they, and they responded by going with Randall yeah at they did they didn't initiate there I, I think that's right now I don't think that's going to work I mean that they haven't played that way all all season Obi Toppin has been better than we expected him to be based on his film but he also is I don't know that he's ready to play center pick and roll defense at this level I don't think he can switch necessarily I think Trey's been pretty pretty good attacking switches in in this series as well and but I think it's one more thing to just like actually put the ball in the basket which is like kind of the point of NBA basketball um anything else you got on this one let me think no I I think that's about all I have few other small notes here oh actually I have one more yeah I I went a little bit crazy at the end of the first quarter after I give heaped praise on Nate McMillan in game three for for staggering Bogdanovich and Trey and he did not do that and it looked like things were going south pretty fast for the Hawks in that stretch the um hit uh Burks hit a shot they fouled Barrett um and then Barrett hit a three and so you're like okay you know went from a one-point lead to a four-point deficit then Solomon Hill makes a three right at the end of the quarter which I believe was their first catch and shoot make and it looked a lot better and then they brought Bogdanovich back for the beginning of the second quarter and then that's when the Hawks went on went on that road where they where they started to kind of push out the margin a little bit yeah I don't really understand that but at least it was only for a a couple of minutes to not stagger Bogdanovich and Trey um it was interesting I mentioned that Noel like had a steal on Lou Williams in the last game Lou Williams was ready for him to reach in and and he went right through his arm for a foul uh so that was that was uh, interesting uh they tried using Trey Young more as a pick and pop man which I thought was an interesting strategy that uh just just a way to change up give him else something to think about I, I think that looked pretty decent when they tried it uh so remember they started off when Alfred Payton was playing remember that uh uh with John Collins guarding Alfred Payton now they've gone to John Collins guarding RJ Barrett and Barrett has been relatively silent in this series had a decent first half had a few more plays uh in garbage time but he's not gonna hurt John Collins I mean maybe they could try having Barrett run some pick and roll but then and you know if they had more spacing on the floor maybe that could work but we've talked before about how this Knicks offense is just not set up to be conducive for that but Derek Rose started off six and nine in the first half but he uh, kind of withered a, a little bit in the second as, as the Knicks just like really could not score through a big portions of that third quarter and I just really like the way that the Hawks are locked in uh, on the Knicks' tendencies where Julius Randle, they're forcing him to his left in isolation. He's much more comfortable shooting the step back going to his right, and they're daring him to drive right into Clint Capella, uh, who's uh, been fantastic. Uh, Mo Dacula noted this uh, on Twitter that just 
the Knicks really are just kind of still running the same shit. I mean, they tried a few things, but they don't really have any kind of continuity or flow offense. Also, the Knicks continue to just never ever run and in contrast the hawks had a 300 offensive rating off steals in this game they only had four of them but they hit a three-pointer on every single one of the steals that they had can't really do better i mean technically you can but you can't really do better than a 300 offensive rating though the brooklyn net though the brooklyn nets got close <laughs> yes that is right and seth had this good stat uh from synergy that the knicks had 19 isolations and 16 of them resulted in the guy isoing making the play or turning it over or or whatever or so I shouldn't say making the play taking the shot or turning it over uh only three of them did they dry second defender leading to a pass out by comparison atlanta had four 14 isos and they drew help eight times on those 14 isos so fewer isos and when they are isoing it is with a real mismatch with spacing also danilo gallinari was fantastic 21 points did it on only nine field goal attempts got his bullshit foul drawing game going a little bit and did it actually from two point range last game uh, he hit the four of four from three to really get going but this time it was more uh, attacking some mismatches uh, off pick and pop and kind of in transition as well so that was really good. His reemergence has been a big part of why the, these last two games haven't been particularly competitive. So I'll give you the choice. Do you want a complete Sunday with Net Celtics, or do you want to go to the one competitive game from Saturday, Mavericks Jazz? Or sorry, M- M- Grizzlies Jazz. Let's uh, let's finish out here. Brooklyn and Boston is fresh in the mind, and and this was just through three quarters is basically one of the greatest offensive playoff games ever, and it was not competitive in the fourth. Ended up going down to fifteen, where teams had to kind of keep their starters in, but it never really got any closer th- than fifteen or so. So through, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Are you oh, sorry? You, are, you're going to get to the stat I was going to say. Uh, no, please. Well, no. So, I mean, through three quarters, the Nets were threatening the most efficient playoff offensive performance in NBA history. They were, I think they were at a 153 offensive rating through three quarters. Well, and, and through 35 minutes, it was 157. Oh, and they were, as as Fred Katz noted, they were flirting with a 60-60-100 offensive game, 60% from the field, 60% from three, 100% from three. They ended up falling short on all three of those, but or only narrowly. 100% from the line. Yeah. And they they ended up falling falling a little bit short of that, but some of the some of the overall stats. So sixteen of twenty seven from three, twenty nine of thirty from the line, seventy three percent true shooting on the game. They also only turned the ball over on ten percent of their possessions. Offensive rebounded twenty eight percent of their own misses, and there weren't that many damn misses. They had nine offensive rebounds, and I mean just an incredible offensive performance from the Nets. There were some defensive pitfalls in this game, most notably the Celtics shooting forty. 42 free throws, but as an offensive performance, Kyrie, KD, Harden, all awesome. Yeah, and they were up 16 by the end of the second, and Cruz led by as many, I think, as 28 uh, in the third, and Kyrie had a huge bounce back game with 39 points. Started off actually by getting to the foul line in the first quarter more than you normally see. He was 11 of 11 from the foul line. Durant was completely ridiculous with 42 points on 25 shooting possessions and also had had five assists. James Harden had 23 points and 18 assists. He really had to get going as a scorer with Kyrie struggling in game three, but Kyrie had it. And this is the second game in a row that the Nets have had two players score 39 points or more. Insane. (laughs) 
<laughs> which is completely and that it, insane. And, and also, in some ways, more insane that it's not the same two people in both games. Like, that they have three guys that can do it. Yeah, no, that that is pretty batshit. KD has had... Uh, did he have 40 last game, too? I think he did, right? Maybe I'm mis- Maybe it was Harden who had more. But in any event, yeah, they were both ridiculous. I mean, KD is KD just... Had a, he had a, a, a piddling 39 in game three. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Yeah, it was Harden who had 41 in, in that game. But yeah, KD is just getting the ball out in space and just abusing guys either getting fouled or getting to his spot off the crossover and pulling up and he, he was just they were going at poor tristan thompson who was getting cooked in isolation i mean they couldn't sometimes they just couldn't decide who they wanted to go at more in, in isolation whether it was Smith, grant williams interestingly they usually would try to switch away from uh jabari parker Peyton Pritchard, Fournier, Romeo Langford, who started with Kemba Walker, unable to play with this bone bruise. I thought they actually really missed Kemba at times in this game. Like Tatum got going in the second half and he had 17 to 17 for the line of 40 points. But again, that was what long after the Nets had kind of salted this away. And they the Celtics weren't going to stop the Nets from scoring enough to like actually get close. So I I discount his performance a little bit. They did a better job of him aside from just falling like crazy. So this Celtics, I mean, they're probably done in this series now. Uh, doesn't sound like any Nets want to come back to Boston, uh, pr- particularly Kyrie, uh, after uh, another negative fan interaction, which we haven't talked about, but I don't really just, ha- I don't have anything to add on that. I mean, it just, it sucks. The person should be punished. Like, there's nothing else to say uh, other than that. And I don't know. Do, do we need to spend much more time on this? I have, like, some smaller notes, but it was it was basically over th- with 30 minutes gone by in the game. Well, I, I think the one other thing that's going to be important to watch for the Nets, and this is the game isn't the best evaluator for it is the fifth beetle so blake griffin nick claxton bruce brown tyler johnson and landry shamet all got minutes in this one i still i mean claxton had the best plus minus at, at plus 14 though i don't think of him as you know he had four blocks so i guess he, he was a part of that yeah. i like in many circumstances i like brown the best of that group you, you have you have a very specific identity but it's an identity i'm comfortable with um it's interesting though yeah i mean then you're asking kevin durant to be the center though which is a little yeah. i mean that's that's going to be pretty difficult uh, against the milwaukee bucks i mean maybe you can do that oh uh, yeah i don't think you stretches. do that against the bucks i yeah. just think conceptually in the abstract yeah, so I don't know what they're going to do against the Bucks. I, I and we'll, we'll spend a ton of time previewing that series, obviously, because that's that's going to just be fucking. We'll, epic. we'll we'll also spend a lot of time doing it on the NBA cast. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that that's going to be fun. And yeah, Brown had his roll to the basket game going with 14 points as well. Blake Griffin proved again that he can't guard anybody in isolation. That that seems pretty clear to me. Anytime he got switched on to Tatum, he got completely lit up. Uh, through three quarters, Malik Andrews had this set that Harden, Irving, Durant combined to score or assist on 110 of the Nets' 112 points. Incredible. <laughs> Which is a which is absolutely remarkable. This the Nets had a 152 offensive rating at halftime and improved on that in the third quarter. <laughs> uh, the Nets as they draw as they dropped they dropped a 39 point quarter on the Cel- on the Celtics and that wasn't even the Nets highest scoring quarter to that point. Yeah, the they s- did not miss a shot for the first six minutes of the second quarter. They made ten in a row. They did double team Jason Tatum a little bit more on some of those isos. He passed out of it to some success. So they, they, it was interesting to see them do that as opposed to just, all right, we're just going to straight switch and that's it. We're just going to deal with it. They did change up a little bit and held them to 40 instead of 50. The fouling is a big problem for them, though. Like They, yes. they have to find a way to stop fouling because that's 
the foundation of their defenses to just kind of trust the math force teams to go one-on-one hit tough shots which they're going to hit plenty of but when you're fouling a you're causing your guys to be less aggressive b you're taking the ball out of the net on a free throw like these guys if they can get any kind of a transition at all are absolutely deadly they can still score obviously in the half court as well so they got to just find a way to be more disciplined again following jason tatum for 17 free throw attempts and you know a lot of these it's not like oh he's getting right to the rim and somebody's coming over and contesting him at the rim and fouling him it's just okay he gets like a slight advantage and you reach in and and you pick up a bullshit foul so they just they got to be more disciplined and you know mike d'antoni is on the staff like that's been a big hallmark of some of his defenses that were not that good but at least were good enough to like let you win on offense one other part of this game that would have been more notable if the game had been more competitive was i thought the time when the celtics missed kemba walker the most was in that stretch i believe that was at the beginning of the second quarter oh yeah both tatum and smart were out and they couldn't get anything offensively and and you think about it and you're like okay yeah there isn't really there isn't really a place to go in those minutes peyton pritchard's not quite there yet and so having a having a third player who can initiate having somebody who puts some fear into the defense it really does open up so much i mean we're seeing that on the other end of the court with brooklyn so i mean there isn't I, I guess the answer there is just you have to play Tatum and Smart together a little bit less just to make sure that they're out that somebody's out there all the time if Kemba's not there. But again, you know, this was going to be a tough. This was a tough hill to climb anyway. Yeah, I I have a, a feeling that we may have seen Kemba Walker's last game in a Boston Celtics uniform. Hmm. That's uh, that. I mean, I think there. Uh, we'll see about that. Obviously, we got to see how the rest of the offseason plays out. But I, it's just a, a thought that I have. So let's turn now to. Saturday's games and one of really the two competitive games of the weekend and that was Memphis and Utah the Jazz took a 34-22 lead after the first quarter led 34 to 19 at one point really were up 10 essentially until the beginning of the fourth when a 24 to 10 Memphis run got them back into it but Donovan Mitchell finally got going a little bit Dylan Brooks kind of Brooks them into it and then Brooks them out of it in the last five minutes or so of the game with a three-shot foul on Mitchell to foul out after he took a bunch of pretty difficult shots in pick and roll. Uh, missed a couple of threes though some of them were pretty wide open he just couldn't hit them and he'd been playing well up until that point so you know you kind of you get what you get with, with dylan brooks uh, and this was uh, a little bit of bad brooks and well i mean the, here, here's the here's the way that i would describe it the grizzlies got a a floater from john morant with four minutes and 21 27 seconds left in the game that put them up 109 107 yeah. the fedex forum crowd was thrilled and i was that the one where he did the too small thing on mike conley i can't remember it was right around that same time i i I believe and it then, was, yes. And then the Grizzlies did not score from 427 until 127 when John Morant got fouled for two free throws and the and the Jazz were up 10. Yeah, and that that really ended it. Uh, Mitchell hit a huge three off the pick and roll. Then he got the he got the three shot foul on Brooks. That that was really the big end of it. Uh, throughout the meat of the game, Mike Conley was fantastic again. Twenty seven points, eight assists, seven of ten from three. Was the best offensive player on the floor in this game uh, in his return to Memphis, which obviously was quite surreal for him to be going up against the Grizzlies at FedEx Forum. Uh, another thing that I thought was pretty interesting here was 
the Jazz only had 17 assists in this game on their 40 field goals, which is surprising because they still got up 43 three-point attempts and made 44% of them, 19 out of out of 43. Also interesting was that the Grizz got up 41, which you wouldn't necessarily expect based on the first couple of games. They were averaging probably like 22 or something during that period. But if you look at the way the three, uh, I should say actually, yeah, probably the two main, no, restart. The two main pick-and-roll ball handlers for the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell, 16 pick-and-roll plays that resulted in some sort of a shot for his team. And he basically was the guy shooting or turning it over on 14 of those. Mike Conley, 12 such plays. No, sorry, I misspoke again. Basically, what I'm trying to say here is that Mike Conley draws the defense and sets up other guys, whereas Donovan Mitchell is working more for his own shot. Mike Conley drew help nine times and was able to pass out of it and set other guys up so conley has really been the engine as mitchell's been kind of working his way back into it mitchell was limited to 30 minutes again i think due to health reasons coming off the ankle did have an unbelievable finish in the air around valentinus as well in that last big stretch where he kind of took over late in that big jazz run rudy gobert also was fantastic defensively plus 14 36 minutes Ja didn't have the same type of impact with 28 points. Locke had this stat, and obviously just watching, you can tell of like what a difference it is for Morant anytime that Derek Favors is in there instead of Rudy Gobert, where he can really get right to the rim. What do you think of, it looked like basically the Grizz were trying to match Valanchunas's minutes with Gobert's minutes. What did you think of that strategy? I mean, I think in the, in especially the early games of the series, it seemed like Gobert was less impactful, especially on the, uh, it, it looked like it were kind of, kind of a neutralizing force to some extent, but I don't think that was true in game three. Yeah. It, Valanciunas had his six offensive rebounds, played 35 minutes that lined up pretty well with Gobert. I have two minds of it. Like, I do think that he can kind of, as you were alluding to, sort of fight him for offensive rebounds and wear him down and pick up some bullshit fouls on him. He got five fouls that Gobert did, uh, you know, maybe post up a little bit. But I also think that the Valanciunas Morant pick and roll combo against Favors could just be so incredibly deadly. Valanciunas is easily their best pick and roll role man. And By whether. Far. And so, and there is kind of a theory because now they're going with Jaron Jackson Jr. Center Tillman is out of the rotation. They tried Clark a little bit. They also just went with Kyle Anderson at the four and Jackson at the five. That was actually a, a big part of their run, which interestingly enough occurred with Morant off the floor at the start of the fourth, which is rare for them. But there, and Gobert is on the floor during that. So there's a theory of kind of like, all right, we're going to use Jaron Jackson Jr. to space out Gobert. And that was actually during the one period where they didn't match up Valanciunas and Gobert. So I, I don't know. It's a tough question to me. I think I would probably try to get those Valanciunas versus Favors minutes and just like really, really eat during that time. And like, because Valanciunas also sets like crushing screens for Morant. And then when he gets a, a downhill runway at Favors, he can score on him. Whereas uh, Gobert, not necessarily. <laughs> though though Morant is to, to, I guess his credit is, is going to keep trying it. Like he's basically tried to dunk on Gobert w- at least once in every single game. <laughs> Hasn't really been great so far, but John Morant, 
I don't know how many more years it's going to be true. Probably at least another three. My favorite dunk attempter in the league by by a decent margin. Yeah, Jalen Brown will have some too, but Morant uh, has the benefit of youth on his side. The Grizz really stayed in this one with the possession game. Only 52% yes. true shooting, but 16 offensive boards. So that was 31% offensive rebounding compared to 17% for the Jazz. And the Jazz actually had 13 turnovers to the Grizz 9 and Grizz were able to get out on the fast break a little bit more as well also Grayson Allen had his best game in the series with 17 points five of eight from three and and that gets me to another point here at the start of the game the Grizz I really have had problems guarding the Jazz and the reason for that is they basically have to put John Moran on Mike Conley because and that tires Morant out a lot and it also is just not a good matchup like Morant's not a good defender Conley and, and Gobert can cook him but the problem is you love to be able to put John Morant on Royce O'Neal who's not really much of a threat just hide him there that's what a lot of teams do but then Jaron Jackson Jr. has nowhere to guard right they don't want Jaron Jackson Jr. guarding Bogdanovich which is what the Jazz do on the other end because Bogdanovich is too good of a shooter and Jaron Jackson Jr. he needs to like help out of the room or something so maybe they still feel like they have to start Jaron Jackson Jr. but their defensive matchups work so much better when they just have another regular shooting guard starting next to Ja, move Brooks to the three, Anderson at the four, and then Valanchunas at the five, then trying to, uh, there's only one place to hide someone on this Jazz starting lineup, and they got two guys who need hiding in their starting group. So I think getting, you know, starting Allen or starting Bain to me would work better than starting Jaron Jackson. Then Jaron Jackson could come in and basically just be the pure backup center. Then you wouldn't need to play Clark at all. Well, and you could even have Jaron Jackson play plenty of minutes. Maybe you bring him in earlier than your average sub, but getting into that defensive rhythm, being able to kind of let Morant have the game come to him offensively. Also just have him not pick up like three fouls in the first four minutes of the game, Jaron Jackson. Right. That would be preferable for the the Grizzlies. I I wholeheartedly agree. And there are complicated, complicated, complicated forces in play here because Jackson missing so much of the year and being an important part of their future. But at a certain point, I think Taylor Jenkins can go to him. I mean, both of those individuals have probably a long future of the franchise and be like, hey man, the Jazz are really, really good. We want to give ourselves the best chance to win this series. You're a part of our future, but maybe you'll get your 25 minutes coming off the bench rather than starting. Uh, also, I thought Conley played excellent defense in the fourth quarter on Morant, getting through some screens, uh, making those floaters a little bit more difficult uh, with Gobert still kind of low to come out all the way to the dotted line and ch- and challenge him with Valanchunas potentially rolling behind him. So that, that was pretty good. Morant didn't really do much in the fourth quarter. That's about all I got on this one, though. I, the Grizz uh, play tomorrow on Memorial Day. They will obviously have to win this game to save their season. I, I'm not saying that they can't win it, but I, I think the Jazz, particularly now with Mitchell back, are, are, have a pretty good formula so far. And I'm not really sure that the Grizz just can score enough to to keep up with these guys. I think they got to just they got to win, keep winning the possession game and the fast break game, and hope that that kind of carries them through against the Jazz' superior ball movement and three point shooting. And getting Gobert in foul trouble would be nice too. So I guess we jump to Portland beating the brakes off the Denver Nuggets. And what does that this, what does that I mean, mean? I can't remember Be- where beating that expression the brakes came. off of them. Now I'm like, going like, to what look. What does that it's refer a... to? Is that like some kind of like a car racing? Yeah, I think it is. Okay. Well, uh, yes the the Denver Nuggets uh, do not have any brakes that they can apply to Portland's offense. That, that is correct. I looked it up. Um, it is like when you when somebody is knocked off balance, so they lose control of their body like a car with no brakes. 
Okay, that makes sense. Okay, there we go. So yeah, one fifteen ninety five. Uh, Danny, you'll be pleased to know that the Blazers did in fact have a one twenty five offensive rating in this game, yes! despite the slow pace. So you're predicting yes! that the winning team would have a one twenty four or higher offensive rating in the series is intact, but. Really, I think where we got to start here is that Yusuf Nurkic really outplayed Nikola Jokic in this one. Absolutely. And Nurkic, uh, a really nice effort defensively. I thought that he also cre- you know, had, had a couple of good offensive plays. And Jokic just didn't get into rhythm. His his jump shot didn't look particularly good, wasn't getting a ton around the basket. And I thought Nurkic being on the floor did a lot was, was very disruptive. Yeah, Nurkic was already quite in the positive before he was plus 32 in 27 minutes. And I thought it noteworthy that Stotts has gone to now just matching up Nurkic and Jokic's minutes for the entire game, essentially. And also noteworthy that uh, can't play him, did not play during the competitive portion of the game either. They went with Hollis Jefferson exclusively, which was kind of foreshadowed by the changes in the second half of game three. And so Nurkic uh, got off early 17 points, had two blocks uh, and a big part of it, it wasn't all Yusuf Nurkic, although he was really good. They basically have now gone to the Dirk Nowitzki strategy on Jokic, which and Jokic obviously a better passer and deep post-up guy and rebounder than Dirk. But you remember back in the day that Dirk, even you know as late as like 2016, when Dirk Nowitzki set the screen up top, essentially they were just. The big man was going to like kind of slightly hedge, but not really, and just stay close to Dirk. And they would all just essentially allow the guard to get a four on three going to the basket and someone else would have to help. Usually that was Robert Covington in this game. And particularly when that was Compazzo, they couldn't really make him pay for that. Compazzo was two, uh, two, seven from three, three of 10 overall. He missed a, a couple of pretty easy layups and was getting inside, just not really able to finish. And the other problem with that was then the other Blazers would collapse inside and kudos to the Blazers for not overreacting to that crazy three-point shooting performance by the Nuggets by some pretty average three-point shooters and the Nuggets were 13 of 44 from three in this game and they do not have great three-point shooters they also were 38 percent from two which was not too amazing either uh, but the Blazers walled off the rim pretty well they did because remember in game one they're like, all right, we're going to keep Jokic out of the post here, uh, or we're going to not double-team the post and let Jokic go one-on-one against Nurkic, and that worked just well enough for their offense to tell. And then the next two games, kind of, they were doing a better job of getting Jokic on the move, getting him in pick and pops, having him in space so he could make plays. So they just said, okay, we're just, I don't care if you set a screen, Jokic, we're not going to help off you at all. We'll just let someone else beat us. Uh, and the Nuggets, as limited as they are on the perimeter, weren't able to do that. And in particular, Danny, I, I mean, the performance from Michael Porter Jr. in this one was mystifying. Yeah. I mean, poor Jr. It, it, I mean, he didn't seem particularly engaged offensively. Didn't, didn't have a great defensive performance either. Porter Jr. only took three shots, all of them threes in 23 minutes of action. And, you know, again, some, some regression defensively, there have been some good moments for him. I didn't see much of that here. And he doesn't have to be the Nuggets second best offensive player every game for them to win, but it makes them a lot more likely to win. And he was such a non-factor here. Yeah, and he was, you know, was averaging like 25 points, crazy efficiency down the end of the regular season. Or like, oh man, this guy, he's really coming into his own here. He could have a massive playoffs. And I mean, this is really, has not had much of an impact in the series, particularly these last two games. And boy, I mean, for him to only get up three shots, I mean, that's amazing. And Mike Malone had some comments about the starters and he basically said they're soft. And I'm guessing that 
Michael Porter Jr. was who he was referring to there. Aaron Gordon also played even fewer minutes, 18 minutes. And, you know, worth noting that two minutes into the third quarter, the game was essentially over. Like, it, it was a 57 to 47 lead at halftime and the Blazers scored the first 10 points in less than two minutes as Jokic missed three jumpers right at the start of the third and and the game was over but yeah they tried going like a few post-ups early on for Eric Gordon Aaron Gordon that didn't really work uh Rivers also another guy who shot those 10 three-pointers and was so good in the fourth quarter of game three he was hit two three-pointers in like the first six minutes and basically never even took another one so and the starters none of them played more than 27 minutes either yeah and one of the one of the other wild stats you brought up denver shooting 30 percent from two they were all right in the restricted area they were three of 22 on shots outside the restricted area twos outside the restricted area yeah. in this game um that's bad yeah i mean a, a indicative of porter's struggles was they got the switch with dame on him and he tried to back down and he didn't really make any progress and dame just like picked his pocket so yeah, they, and he him. just never really went went back to that anymore uh, uh i thought norman powell's early offense was an important part of this game oh, powell big time. ended up early both in the shot clock and in the game yes absolutely got to the basket a few times also hit four of four threes in this game 29 points 11 to 15 from the field and the blazers had four, 24 assists on 42 main baskets got to the line and i think it was i think the ratio was even better during the competitive portion of this game which wasn't that long um the other crazy thing is dame lillard had one field goal and they killed him yeah i mean lillard one for ten from the field um i mean he missed all of his twos which lillard yeah. has been much better it better overall in those circumstances got forced I didn't into see a it. lot of mid-rangers and he tried to like you know back in a little bit on their small guards and that worked good in game one it didn't work as well in this one but he also like he wasn't having like bad misses you know it was just kind of no. bad luck in and he, out he wasn't and, getting all the way to the rim but he wasn't making he wasn't yeah. having bad and, misses and he also had 10 assists uh, as well and yeah. there's still Nikola Jokic is getting out on the floor double teaming him and pick and roll they're hitting Nurkic on the roll that set up a number of Nurkic's finishes or Nurkic making the next pass as well setting up a three on the weak side so Lillard still had I would say more of an offensive impact in this one uh, than Jokic did and, and Jokic he'll play better just by hitting some shots too I mean he just didn't kind of like Luca just wasn't hitting the same shots that he had been hitting so far which may have been a little bit unsustainable and so I mean I still kind of feel the exact same way I felt felt about the series at the very beginning you know it does seem like it's kind of headed towards seven but it seems like the Blazers just have a few more answers than the Nuggets do even with both of these being like some pretty deeply flawed teams I'm more invested in the 120 124 above than I am in who wins the series Granted, that's also, you know, how it, how it usually is. Um, we can also say goodbye to our first team in the 2021 playoffs. And that team, I don't think we would have expected it going in, considering I picked the series to go seven games. The Miami Heat, they have been dispatched by the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, I had it as Bucks and six, obviously, but you just, you didn't know what was going to happen. And we'll have a lot more time to discuss the Heat offseason. And I mean, it's going to be fascinating. But I mean, holy shit, were Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo bad. Adebayo at least had 20 points and 14 rebounds in this game and they showed a little bit more fight they actually led it by as as many as eight in the third quarter before the Bucks went on a huge run and then uh Miami as was their want in this series managed only 39 points in the second half and 
Overall, a 95.4 offensive rating for Miami over the four games. That is the lowest total for a playoff team in the last six postseasons and we kind of wondered what happened to the Bucks defense they were on the come though in the second half of the year got into the top 10 and I mean this group was a better playoff defense it would seem like than last year and so you just you, you kind of wonder okay where did we go wrong on this team and all right was it the bob the bubble was it Miami catching lightning in a bottle I, mean, I think we were just you know obviously based on any kind of reasonable assessment of these teams performance in the regular season this year you this wouldn't have been too surprising of an outcome but of course, the Heat had done this to this very team, the Bucks, last year. They were starting to play better down the end. And Jimmy Butler was way better than expected last year. And Adebayo had a breakout. And Giannis, who still was not amazing, though he did have 15 assists in this game. You know, it wasn't Giannis dominating them offensively throughout most of the series. Brooke Lopez was ridiculous actually getting to the basket and just bludgeoning them. They had 15 offensive rebounds again. Like that's that's something that's been really impressive is the Bucks just using their size more on the offensive end than they have in previous years. Miami is not a very good transition team. So I think they felt they're able to do that with a little bit more impunity than normal. So I, I really credit the Bucks for just... It, playing to the best of their capability Forbes was fantastic again with 7 of 14 Bryn Forbes had more points in the series than Jimmy Butler did that's not a formula for success but Jimmy Butler had a triple double in this game yes uh he did uh, Arnovitz wrote a nice game I thought just a couple of interesting stats from that uh Brooke Lopez contested 76 shots in the series and Miami shot just 32% on those attempts, which is noteworthy because you're not taking a lot of jumpers over Brooke Lopez, or if you are, it's a, a two-pointer, which would be pretty decent. And then the Bucks killed him on the offensive glass, 34% offensive rebounding, which is probably about 4% higher than the best team usually is in this day and age. And they got every defensive rebound, which 79%, which also would have led the league this year. So just complete dominate one of the most dominating playoff series we've seen had Miami been able to win game one perhaps that could have gotten in the Bucks had a little bit it would have been a little bit different um but I mean the biggest drama was whether Giannis would get another 10 second violation despite the heat heat fans quick counting him to get to 13 every time he was at the foul line well and if the Nets can take care of business in in their game five I'm guessing this series starts next weekend I don't think that I think they'll start it a little early which would actually in some ways be good for these teams because then they'd get a little bit more of a break in series rather than rather because they're going to have to start the Easter Conference Finals with whichever team survives um, at the same time pretty much anyway. Yeah, the Washington Wizards, we can say sayonara to as well. And, you know, Ted Leontis, I, I mean, it's not technically over yet, but they just got... <laughs> I, I mean, this was just a, this has been a joke of a series, I, I, and I, I don't even need to talk about it that much. I mean, they find Beal finally got controlled pretty well. It, Philly is just you know had a one thirty offensive rating in in this game one thirty two one hundred three. They tried to play more single coverage on Joel Embiid and uh, Daniel Gafford would like some help, please. Thirty six points in twenty eight minutes. Uh, I, I've I've looked at this and I thought. <laughs> I saw 18 of 14 from the field for Joel Embiid. It was actually 14 of 18. I just transposed it in my head for some reason, but it might as well have been 18 of 14 from the field because they just, uh, Joel also was great defensively at plus 29 in 28 minutes. They just had absolutely zero answers for him. 
Well, I think for me, the stat of the series so far is from uh, Rich Hoffman, my colleague at The Athletic. When it's been starters versus starters, the Sixers have outscored, the Sixers starters have outscored the Wizards starters by 53 points. So they're plus 53 in 54 minutes with a 150 (laughs) offensive rating. Yeah. 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 But Bodner had the joke that uh, Joel Embiid like hasn't produced at all in the fourth quarter in this series. Yeah, because um, Doc Rivers doesn't trust him. Yeah, yeah. Won't put him out there. Uh, so, I, I mean, this Wizards team is not a real playoff team. And yes, they closed the season 17-6. and six. They had some okay wins. They were built to kind of protect the rim enough and just run teams to death who, who weren't ready for them in the regular season. And this this was just also a miserable matchup for, you know, I think, that, I think the Wizards actually could have played a lot better against like the Nets than the Sixers because they could have just like kind of Westbrook could have kind of bullied his way to the rim and they could have run fast and like kind of beat him down floor and transition uh Davis Bertans has had a miserable series uh they tried starting him that was the big adjustment but they're able to just hide Seth Curry on him he couldn't really do anything about it he was negative 34 in 31 minutes and did not help their defense much they brought Neto off the bench and Neto uh was one of 12 uh, in this one uh, off the bench i'm uh they still started alex len though thankfully but len is actually the only guy who was even you know more than a speed bump is a is a traffic cone or a speed bump a, a bigger impediment i think a speed bump is well it depends on how good you are at driving yeah <laughs> Joel Embiid is pretty good at driving, uh, as it turns ah, out. That's not his biggest strength, but yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, we're not even going to talk about the next game in this series, I don't think, unless something crazy happens in it. But the Wizards, of course, have had so many chances, right? Like, they could have traded Davis Bertans at the deadline last year. They doubled down, uh, trading a, being out of first-round pick now to pick up Russell Westbrook, which, okay, you know, great. You, you won uh, one play-in game, and now is it worth it? Is it worth it to be have one of the least competitive first-round series that we've seen, you know, right up there with uh, Bucks pistons in 2019? Like, this is, this is what you're mortgaging everything to get to? I actually think, and, you know, who knows? This is, Bradley Beal, is, his thinking on this has not mirrored mine, and, and his extension negotiations could be very interesting this offseason, but although i don't think he's eligible until like closer to like october or something but i think actually in some ways getting into the playoffs which they had been out of for a couple of years and suffering this kind of a defeat like that can kind of crystallize things a little bit more for a star than just not making the playoffs at all where you not making the playoffs at all you're just like oh man you know we had we had injuries and we could have gotten in there and who knows we could have made some noise if we had just gotten in and blah blah this is just throws because when you lose a playoff series like this it just like it's just a completely hopeless feeling you just you've tried everything and like Beal has played relatively well when you consider the limitations in the series and they've just been gotten crushed yeah absolutely and even Westbrook was like had statistically wasn't bad he was 9 of 18 uh they couldn't hit a three Beal weirdly has not been able to hit a three himself I guess that's not that weird he doesn't shoot it though he and he and Devin Booker these guys are like came in as shooters and like don't actually hit league above league average on threes in any event but this could get when you're just sitting there in the meetings and you're preparing and preparing and preparing and you get out there and you just know that individually you have no chance in terms of your individual matchups and the talent on the floor and you try everything and you're totally locked in and you really go against a locked in opponent that has more talent than you maybe that will crystallize uh, some things for Bradley Beal that this is truly a, a hopeless situation for him which I think it largely is 
as far as even like getting into the second round of the playoffs anytime well, and, soon. And Beal, so he's he's 27, will turn 28 relatively soon. The concept of his like prime basketball mortality, not his like career being over, but like the years that he can really help a good team win, like we're getting closer to the end of that. And I wonder how he's thinking about that right now. Can we just cancel game four of this series and have like a remote make and make 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 nets bucks a nine game series sure <laughs> i was gonna say maybe we can just have like a, a remote free throw shooting contest between ben simmons Giannis, and luca oh god but ben simmons is now 0 for 9 from the foul line in this series that's really your only only thing to watch but it's sixers hawks at least will have some interesting strategic elements that philly will have to deal with even though i think they'll be massive favorites in that series and obviously assuming the hawks go through which seems likely all right well let's uh Let's wrap it up here. No show tomorrow. We will, of course, talk about Grizz Jazz Game 4, but we'll just do that on Tuesday's show. And our next hot mic is going to be on Wednesday for Clippers Mavs. So check that out. We've got a, a ton of people on. I think we've got like 2,000 2, followers on there now just to, over these first couple of games. And the reason people are in is just because it's so easy now to sync up with the app. We've talked about it before, but... All you got to do is just turn on your TV, turn your sound up, hit the sync button, and our audio will sync up with your TV, and we can basically just be your announcers. It's pretty cool. So join us for that. Anything you want to talk about before we go here? No, I'm good. Okay, well, that will do it for today's show, and we'll talk to you all next time. Till then.